Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. Revelation chapter 3, and the beginning at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See? I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray, please. O oh Lord, we come before you, and we thank you for this beautiful message this wonderful letter of commendation to the Church of Philadelphia. And we realize, O Lord, as you've stated in your word, to hear the message, the message of the Spirit, the message that reveals you and that reveals the will of the Father. We pray that as your children, 
you'll touch our understanding and illuminate our understanding. The eyes and the ears of our spirit. Help us, O oh Lord, not only to understand, but also to apply your truth in our lives in a way that brings honor and glory to you and serves to benefit the human race. So many lost people in the world, people that we come into contact with throughout our lives, we pray that we will be faithful witnesses, that we will share your word, that we will exalt your name. As the scripture teaches, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that you, Lord Jesus, are Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we pray your blessing upon our time today. And we pray in thy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So the city of Philadelphia, a little historical background there, and I learned uh, uh, this morning that uh, Matt and, and Tammy, was Tammy there with you also? And Joey. And, oh, so you were, you were there as well, huh, Miss Joey? That they also lived in Turkey. And uh, uh, when, when was that? 89 to 91. 89 to 91, right. I was there a little earlier, 74 to 75. But um, for all of these, these, uh, these churches, of the first century were located. Now it's my understanding also that Philadelphia is one of the few cities that is still, still populated there in, uh, in Turkey. And so you see the, uh, the location, uh, Asia Minor or Western, Western Turkey, about 40 miles southeast of, of Sardis, which we looked at last week. And if you'll notice that uh, in, in, in most of your Bibles, you, you probably have a map uh, outlining this. But starting down in, in Ephesus, where the first letter was, this journey takes place and it goes up so along the coast of, of western part of Turkey and then back down again, where these churches uh, were located. But Philadelphia, uh, we, uh, we have a city called Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. Huh? And uh, phileo is the Greek word for for uh, love, that is a brotherly love, Delphia for the, for the city. So it's referred to as the city of love. Now this, this city here was a relatively young compared to the other cities there in the Middle East, but it, it didn't get the name because the people there were, you know, real loving. All right, but it got the name because of Attalus, who was a, a Gentile uh, king, really loved his brother. And his, 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 um, his middle name was Philadelphus. <laughs> All right? So they named the city Philadelphia after Atlas Philadelphus. <laughs> but it means uh, brotherly love. But it was a city prone to earthquakes, and it had been uh, completely destroyed uh, a couple occasions. And so uh, Philadelphia had this reputation for being a place that was on shaky ground, so to speak. The church there was established sometime in the, uh, in the first century, and it lasted until about the 13th century. Because in the 13th century, the, the Islamic Muslim uh, Seljuk Turks came through and completely wiped it out. They overtook it. 
But as we mentioned before, the city itself uh, is still there and uh, still populated. The congregation was made up of, of a mixture of, of Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and probably some unbelievers as well, as, as a modern day uh, church is, is like that as well. But it has this tremendous reputation. Now, if you, if you didn't notice, in this letter to the Philadelphian church, there were no criticisms. Did you notice that? Not one criticism. And really, it's an amazing church. The Lord says it's the church of the open door. And it had a little strength. In other words, it wasn't a real big church. You know, it didn't have all the fancy wealth that characterized the church of Laodicea, which we'll see and look at next week, or some of the other churches. It had a little strength, but what it did have was it was faithful. It was a church that was filled with faithful believers. They were faithful to the Word of God and faithful in exalting the Lord's name, praising the name of the Lord Jesus. Some of the other churches were given to compromise. And we looked at that last time. And tolerance. You know, the world likes to use that word tolerance. We, we need to be a more tolerant society. What they're really saying is, we want you to accept our sin. That's what they're saying. But the Bible teaches that God hates sin. He hates it. And the Bible goes on to say, what God hates, we're supposed to hate. We're not to be in love with sin. Yet the fact is, is that we are all enamored with it. And this world wants us to be tolerant and accepting of its sin. Well, the Christians in Philadelphia were faithful to the Lord's word and to his name. And, and to be faithful to his name means more than just exalting his name. It means living according to the standard that is consistent with his nature with his being. And what does he say about himself? These things says he who is holy. God says to his people, he said it both to the Jews and he says it to the Christians, be ye holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Amen? Now this, this word holy it means to be pure. It also means to be sanctified or set apart. And Christ Jesus is holy. He is the anointed one of the Father. He is the anointed Messiah. He is the anointed Son of God. He is the anointed Deliverer. There is no other Deliverer. There is no other Savior. Jesus Christ and Christ alone, who is true. Now the use of the word here, true, actually means genuine. Now we can use the word true in the sense of correct, 
So when uh, a child is in school and uh, they're working a problem at the board, a math problem, and they, they figure out that two and two equal four, the teacher says, that is correct. That is true. You follow? That's, that's one way. But you've also heard the phrase, the genuine article. Yes? The real thing. What was that, Coca-Cola? The real thing. <laughs> right. Well, Jesus is the genuine article, if you will, or the, the real Son of God. He is the anointed one. He's authentic. He's genuine. He's real. Beside him, there is no other. And it is this Jesus whom we love, whom we serve, who is speaking to Philadelphia. And notice what he says. He says, who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens, and who possesses or has the key of David. Now what does that mean? It's a quote, really, from Isaiah chapter 22, where a man by the name of Eliakim was given the key to the house of David. Or in other words, he was the one who had the authority to open and also to lock. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ has all authority. You read that over in Matthew chapter 28. He says, all authority. Now in some versions in the English it says all power. But the word that is actually used there in the Greek is this word exousia, which means authority. The other word that's used in the, in the scripture is dunamis, and we get the word dynamite, dynamic, and all of that, which means might, power, and might. Well, Jesus certainly has all authority, and he has all might, all power, all strength. He's the one who opens. And Philadelphia is the church of the, the open door. He has all authority. Now, he goes on and he says, I know your works. He compliments them. He compliments them because they're faithful. Faithful to keeping his word and proclaiming his name. Standing for his gospel. Sharing the message. Now, scholars believe that the Philadelphian church really, really refers to the missionary age of the church with respect to the history of Christianity. Beginning at about 1700, some say it ended in the middle of the 1900s, some believe that it, that it goes through until the rapture, which we'll talk about here in, uh, in a little bit. The, the churches, they cover these periods from a, a, a couple, hundred to maybe three hundred years each and they, they, they overlap. But it's also true that the churches all throughout the history of Christianity have these very characteristics, especially among various denominations. You know that the church really didn't have a very strong missionary ministry until around the 1700s. And it, it really began in England. 
a young man by the name of William Carey. He was only in his 20s. He, he stood up in one of, the, one of the pastoral conferences and he said, I believe that the Lord would have us to go to the foreign lands to take the gospel to the lost. You know, and some gray-haired or white-haired uh, man said, uh, Brother Carey, sit down. If God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help. That was the view of many in that day. But William Carey was undaunted, and he, he gave his, his life to serving the Lord and taking the message of the gospel to foreign lands, India. Another one by the name of Adoniram Judson from America. He became a missionary to Burma. And you might be surprised, and I think I may have mentioned this to you once before, but over on the east side of the Las Vegas Valley, there are two streets that are named. See, because Baptists came here a long time ago, and there are two streets, and they intersect. One is Carrie, the other one is Judson. You know, they like to name streets after the, the politicians, right? Well, but isn't that something that in a place like Las Vegas, Nevada, that you would have two streets named after two missionaries, one from England, William Carey, and the other one, an American missionary, Adoniram Judson, right here in Las Vegas. And right in that area, there are all kinds of little churches. But it's the church of the open door. Notice that the door swung wide open and the ministry of missions launched to the ends of the world. And even in this day in which we live, we still have missionaries going, going out. And it says no one can shut it. Or in other words, the door of missions will remain open as long as the Lord wants it to remain open. No one can shut it. But what we have been seeing in the world is that this door is slowly closing. You see, there was a time when you could openly preach the gospel in China. But what do you know about China today? You see, that door has been closing. They have the underground church. And in another church that I pastored some time ago, there was a Chinese businessman who would come to the United States, and he would come and visit our church. And so as I was talking with him, I said, well, you know, you could send me a, uh, some email messages and such, and I'll, I'll communicate back and forth with you. He said, no, we, we shouldn't do that. And I said, well, why not? He said, because the Chinese government, okay, they monitor all, all of, the, of the communication on the internet. And it would really put he said he would, it would put him and his family and his business and others in danger. See, it didn't used to be like that. We know that the door is closing. In other parts of the world, missionaries are being pushed out. And the COVID pandemic hasn't helped matters either. A little strange, perhaps few in number, and yet we are still few in number when you consider the awesome task of reaching 
eight plus billion people in the world with the message of the gospel. Brother Jerry was mentioning this morning. He said in our Sunday school class, so how, how many do we have there? Six, seven, eight men? But how many do we have in the ladies group? They probably had about 18, 19, 20, something like that. A few more than the men, always. As a matter of fact, wherever you go, not just in the United States, but in the world, any church you go to, generally there are two ladies for every one man. And in some cases, you might have three ladies for every one man. For some reason, the men think they don't need God. They don't need to be in church. Or the flip side, they're too sinful. If they came to church, the roof might cave in, right? <laughs> they like to say that. Oh, we all need the Lord. Little strength. And notice that he, he compliments them for keeping his word. For keeping his word. We as Christians, and we say this over and over and over again, and why do we say it over and over again? Because it's important. <laughs> it's important. We are to study God's word. We are to pray God's word. We are to live God's word. We are to share God's word. We are to sing God's word. Amen? Amen. Yes, we are to memorize God's word. Never, never give in to that lie, and it is a lie, that you have a bad memory. You don't. You don't have a bad memory. Now, it may be a little more difficult at this stage in life to memorize, but you remembered how to get here today, didn't you? You remembered, you know, which foot goes on the left foot and which one goes on the right. You remembered your mask. Of course, they won't let you forget that. <laughs> and all the other things that you have to remember on a daily basis. You see, if you had a bad memory, you wouldn't remember any of those things. But you've allowed the, you know, the, should I say this, the old wives' tale that, you know, that you, you have a bad memory and that your memory goes bad when you get older. No, you have a tremendous memory. You have a tremendous mind. You know why? Because God created it and he gave it to you. And he expects you to use it. Use it. Because there's a lot of truth in that saying, if you don't use it, you will lose it. So don't lose it. Keep it and use it. Amen? And he says, you've not denied my name. Now, over in 2 Timothy, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, speaking to young Timothy, who was a young pastor, he said, now you, you preach the word in season and out of season. Or in other words, when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. When it's pleasant, when it's unpleasant. When you're in a, a wonderful circumstance, or when you're in a most pitiful circumstance, you preach the word. You exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you, you, uh, you start talking about the Lord in a certain group of people, and what happens? Well, they get quiet, and 
then it's time for them to leave. Well, that's how some people treat guests at their home, you know, they get tired of them sitting there and start talking about Jesus, and they, <laughs> they say, well, well, you know, I think it's time for me to go now. <laughs> well, that shouldn't be the reason. You ought to be sharing with them because you care about them. We're to exalt the name of the Lord. Now notice what he says. He goes on. That is the Lord Jesus. Our fourth point. Because you've kept the word of my perseverance. Because you've persevered. Because you've, you've kept the word. And you've, you've kept his name. You've, you've honored his name. And because you've persevered. You've been faithful. I will keep you from See that? Now we need to stop right here. We'll look at those points here in just a minute. But grammar is so important. It really is. And this, you know, this, this movement in, in America, and it's sad. You hear this often, and I was talking with my granddaughter yesterday. Because there's a tendency for the young folks, and not just the young folks anymore, they'll say something like this. Well, so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so were talking, and the guy goes, blah, 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 and, and she goes, right? So I've said, that is incorrect. To go, or to went, if you will, he went, means he actually went somewhere physically left and, and, and he went somewhere. But he said this. She said that. Get into the habit of speaking correctly, accurately. It will set you apart from the others. This dumbing down of America. How you pronounce a word and how you use words are very important. Remember that the Bible is written grammatically correct, correctly. And it has to do with correctly and accurately interpreting. Because the words that are used here, I will keep you from, are very significant. Because there are those who teach that the church will go through the tribulation. And yet, here in this passage are two very important words. Teri, which is the verb keep, and the preposition ek, which means from. If, if what the Lord intended was to take the church through or to keep them through, he would have used a different word. The word is gia, which means through. I will keep you through. Or in other words, I will protect you as you go through. But that is not what he said. He said, I will keep you from. The understanding in the Greek is, is that you will not be present when this comes upon the earth. You follow? It's very important. Now, to support that, turn to, and keep, keep your, your, your place there in Revelation, but, but go to the uh, first chapter in the book of, uh, of Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. 
1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 9. It says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. He didn't appoint us to wrath. You see, the tribulation period that's going to come upon the entire world, and when we, we use that word world, because the Bible is very specific. World in Greek is the, the cosmos. So the entire realm. You follow? Tremendous, tremendous upheaval that is going to occur. And we get that word geology. And when the, when the scripture refers to the earth, it's the, the gis or the geo. You follow where we get our word geology. It refers specifically to the earth. But the world is the cosmos, which is the Greek word cosmos for the entire world. And you notice, looking back here, you don't have to turn out, I'll read it. Right? That the Lord um, shares with, with the church at Philadelphia. I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world, cosmos, to test or to try those who dwell on the earth, the geo. You follow? Two specific words. So you're talking about the whole cosmos as well as the earth itself, those who dwell on the earth. Now, look at the fourth chapter in the book of First Thessalonians. Because remember, and we, we, we preached through Thessalonians a while back, that the Thessalonian Christians thought that the, that the, uh, the rapture had already occurred and everything had already taken place and that their, their, um, their, those that had died had missed out. Now remember that the Bible teaches that for a Christian, when we pass from this life, we go immediately into the presence of the Lord. We're not appointed to wrath. This body cannot inherit or cannot enter into eternity. Because this, this body is, is, is sinful. It's not, it's not that glorified body that we will once inherit in eternity. But notice what he says. Uh, verse thir uh, 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. And he's using that uh, euphemistically, meaning those who have died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and even so, God, now notice this, God will bring with him, that is with Christ, those who sleep in Jesus. You follow that? He's going to bring them with him. That means that they're with him. You follow? He's bringing them with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, that is, walking on the face of the earth, and remain until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Now that word, caught up, is the Greek word harpazo. In the Greek New Testament is the word harpazo, and it means to be snatched, to be carried away, to be caught away. It was translated in the, um, the Latin Vulgate, which is the Latin translation of the scripture, from harpazo to rapturis, which is Latin, from where we get our English word rapture. But in most translations, it's translated caught up, because that is the actual definition. That's what it actually means. That's the translation of the word harpazo, to be caught up, to be taken out, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Don't worry, brother. No matter how bad things get upon the earth, you're going to go through that tribulation, but you can be comforted. It's not very comforting, is it? The idea that you would go through the tribulation, in other words, that you might have your head cut off for the cause of Christ, is that a comforting thought? Really, think it through, because there are those who teach that the church is going through the tribulation. No. We're not appointed to wrath. That is a time of God's wrath poured out upon the earth. And would that be very comforting? No. But it is comforting when you hear Jesus say, because, because you have faithfully served me, because you've kept my word and my name and have persevered, I will keep you from, I will catch you out, I will take you out of the world. We're talking about the rapture. When we go back to Revelation. We'll keep you from that hour which shall come upon all the world to try those upon the face of the earth. There's a tremendous amount of comfort in that, knowing that we as the Lord's church, the missionary church, will continue until the Lord calls us home. Now, when that will happen? Sometime in the future. But here is what is referred to as the doctrine of imminence. And there are three words that people get mixed up. There are imminence, eminence, and eminence. <laughs> All right? Imminence means that the Lord could come at any time. His return is imminent. And that word, when he, when he says, I come quickly, in the Greek it's actually suddenly. Not quickly in the sense of time, because it's been, you know, almost 2,000 years since he spoke those words to John. But it's with the idea that it's close at hand. It could happen at any moment of time. Then there's the other word, imminent or imminent, meaning God is present in his, in his universe. He is near. Then there's eminence, which means like your eminence, a person with great honor, etc., and respect. 
But the idea here, the, the doctrine of imminence, is that Jesus can return at any time. Nothing else has to occur. Jesus can call us up at any moment of time. Therefore, we as Christians are to be alert to that. We ought to be sharing the message of the gospel. Notice, it's an hour of trial. A specific time. Specific time. And the Bible refers to it as Jacob's trouble. And who is Jacob in the scripture? It's Israel. You see, because in God's plan, there are specific periods of time, and some refer to those as dispensations. But specific periods of time. There was the period of the law. And the law ended with John the Baptist. Fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. But it ended. John the Baptist was the last, if you will, of the Old Testament type prophets. Although he's, his life is accounted for, his life and death, in the New Testament. But Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the law and the prophets. But then there was the time of pre-law, the time that Abraham lived in. And then there was the, the post-Diluvian period, which we still live in today, but after the flood, Noah. Then there was the anti-Diluvian period, A-N-T-E, prior to the flood, not a-N-T-I, anti, which is against. So there was, there was the period before the flood. Then there was the period of creation, yes? All of these different periods of time. There was the, the period where the Jewish people were in slavery in Egypt. They went in approximately 70 people in that family, but when they left, it's estimated that they were somewhere between one to three million people. But over the course of those 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness, and they weren't lost. You understand? They weren't lost. Not in the sense of, of geographical location. No. God made them wander in the wilderness because of their unbelief and their disobedience. Until all of those of that generation fell and died there in the desert because of their disobedience. But the point here is that there are specific periods of time. We live now in a time referred as the time of grace, the age of grace, the age of the church, the missionary age. But guess what? That age is coming to a close. Now, when you think of evangelists, the first one you think of generally is Billy Graham. And we've mentioned him before. And his son Franklin is carrying on in his father's footsteps as well as, as, uh, as his sisters and, uh, and the grandchildren. They're all, they're all serving. But who today really has the kind of ministry or worldwide impact that the ministry of, of Billy Graham had? The passing, the passing of an age. Tremendous missionaries, tremendous evangelists. We see that we are, we are moving ever, ever closer. And we also know that the, the timepiece 
is Israel. Amen? Well, it's going to come upon the whole world to test those on the earth, but we need to continue moving here. Notice what he says. Hold fast what you have. Hold fast what you have. The crown. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. The crown is a reward. And the Bible talks of many different types of crowns. And some believe, well, maybe it's a, a, you know, a crown that has these, these different embellishments on it. Because there's the crown of salvation. There's the soul winner's crown. The crown of righteousness. Overcomers. Those who have given their hearts, their life, their all to the Lord Jesus. The overcomer is the person who has placed their faith in Christ. And notice what he says, I'll make you a pillar. You see, there in, in Philadelphia, now it's my understanding that there are, there are two pillars that go back several centuries. And what do, uh, what do people do today? If you, if you accomplish some great you know, feat, in the eyes of the world, they like to put up a monument, don't they? And put your name. Unless, of course, somebody doesn't like that person, then they tear it down. It didn't used to be that way in America, but now they, they do that. But the Lord says, I'll make you a pillar where in the temple of my God. Referring to God the Father. A pillar. A heavenly dwelling. And then he promises the name of. God has many names. God my Savior. God my Provider. God my Salvation. Amen. God my Hope. And Jesus is, is given so many different names. His name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. The Mighty God the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Amen? But he says he's going to give us these precious, unimaginable privileges. The temple of my God, heavenly citizenship, a heavenly dwelling. <coughs> my God, the name of my God, acceptance in the family of God. We've said this many times. Only those who know the Lord as their Savior are in the family of God. And you have all of these people out there. We're all the children of God. Yet God owns everything. Make no mistake about it. But without the Lord as Savior, you are not in his family. New Jerusalem. Perfect. Can you, can you imagine? Imagine a perfect city. Zero crime. Zero crime. Roger mentioned this morning, he said, you know, one of the things you think about heaven is this idea that I won't have any bad thoughts. Can you, can you even imagine that? Not, not ever having a bad thought? Our citizenship is in heaven. Yes, we're citizens here of the United States of America, but our real citizenship is in heaven. And to that city we shall go. And then the Lord Jesus' new name. Jesus has many names, as we've mentioned. But in the end, he's going to share with us a new name 
that he will make known to us, to those who believe in him. You follow? The book of Revelation says he comes, he has a name that no one knows but he himself. And he's going to reveal that name to us, to those who love him. A tremendous, tremendous and special privilege. Well, we need to wrap up. So what did we learn from this passage? First, Jesus is the true, the genuine, holy Son of God with all authority and power. What he says comes to pass. The church, us, believers, we have an open door of opportunity to share the gospel of the kingdom. Can you think of anything more important than that? The Lord understands that we have to live our daily lives, but as Christians, we're, we are born, that is, we are reborn to reproduce. Notice that physically, God has given to us the ability to reproduce. Is that not true? Yes. And spiritually, we are also empowered to reproduce. We are to be bearing fruit. The church will be kept from the great tribulation. And we're given many wonderful promises. God's presence, eternal citizenship in the new Jerusalem, and the new name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give your heart, your life, your past, your present, and your future to the Lord Jesus Christ today. And be forgiven, restored, and saved. God promises his paradise for those who love him. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. The invitation is the Lord's invitation to you, to us. To accept his love, to accept his forgiveness, to give our lives to him. As we sing, you come, you give your life to the Lord. And maybe you're here, you've, you've been attending, but you'd like to become a member of the church officially. You come and share that with us. So as we sing, you come, let's stand. And maybe you've accepted the Lord, but you've never been baptized. The Bible says that we're to be baptized, immersed in water. Buried with Christ, raised to walk in a new way of life. As we sing, you come. We pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word. And we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.